Let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to study his word. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who communicates, who speaks to us. We thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you intend to speak to us today. We thank you that you give us hope and you give us encouragements and you even give us warning. You even point out our sins. You, you, you lead us in the paths that are light and health and help. We thank you, Father, that you don't leave us alone. Help us to hear your word, we pray today. Help us, we ask. Speak to us, we pray. Come to us now, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to begin our study this morning in Matthew chapter 12. Um, so if you'd turn there, that would be great. And then we're going to look at some other passages of Scripture. Um, while you're turning there, let me just encourage you about something. I know that many of you here are Bible readers, and I hope, it's my hope that you would all be Bible readers, that everybody would read their Bible. And I know that this sounds very simple to some of you and trite to others, but sometimes I think in the midst of all the busyness, we lose sight of the fact that this is a really amazing book, okay? This is God's Word, and this book is so alive and so powerful and so good. I, 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 I owe my life to Christ, but I, owe the, I believe that all the blessings that have come in my life have come through reading this Word and, and, and doing it, quite frankly. And I know that, and so I just want to encourage you, read your Bible. Don't be afraid of it. Don't feel like you need to have a help to read it. it, it, it just read your Bible. You, you'll be fine. You say, oh, yeah, but I don't know where to start. Find a godly person. Find a godly person that you trust who you know is a Bible reader and say, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And when they tell you, go home and read it. Just read your Bible. And when you read your Bible, take your time. If you have a hard time staying focused, read out loud. I do it to myself now because my brain's toast. Um, read out loud. Don't feel like you have to read a chapter. Read down until God says that gives you something to think about or to pray about. In fact, I encourage you to read it slow. I'll take a month to get through a chapter, for goodness sakes. Read it slow. Read it for yourself. Read it with anticipation. God's got something here for me. But I'm going to encourage you. This is so much more important than the TV. So much more important than the, the, the series you're, 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 you're rushing through right now on Netflix or something. So much more important than the silly things that people are going to say or show you on Facebook. This is so much more important than the new chicken salad that your friend made, okay? And she took a picture of This is so much more important. It's so much more life. And I want to encourage you to read your Bible. But I am speaking to Bible readers today because I know that many of you are Bible readers. And if you're a Bible reader then you hear really amazing stuff from God in this book, like God's love and God sent his son and God's the hope that we have in God and God's in control of all things. And some of the most beautiful, beautiful passages of ever written by human beings, you'll read in here. I'm reading through the last chapters of the book of Isaiah. It's just like so amazing. Sometimes I'm just transported by it. It's just sometimes you read beautiful things in the Bible. But then sometimes you read things in the Bible that scare you, that scare you. They're actually supposed to, that scare you and, and trouble you. And, and readers of the Bible, when they get to those places, they think, wow, they want to know, well, what's, this, what's this mean? What's this saying? What's the implications of this for me? 
And so that's what we're going to actually look at today. It says in the Bible that there is a sin, that if that sin is committed, there is no forgiveness at all, ever. None. And when a person, a Bible reader, reads that, and you're serious about your Bible, you, you go, oh, no, what does this mean? What is this? And that's what we're going to answer today, okay? So look in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus is going to refer to this sin. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see it in its context. So look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitude were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blaspheme will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven to him, either in this age or in the age to come. This is the sin that is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And where does this sin, what is this sin? What does it mean? What does it involve? Well, let me me show you some other passages of Scripture that seem to point to this, and then we'll try to uh, define this sin for for ourselves. And then we're going to look at sin more generally, more specifically, because of drawing out of what we've learned here. Many find in this, the roots of this, going all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 15 and verse 32, when the Bible says this, but the person who does anything with a high hand, now that word high hand is translated in some other Bibles uh, this way. It's translated in the NIV defiantly. It's translated in the New Living Testament brazenly. It's, tra- it's translated in the King James and New King James presumptuously, which actually does more confusion for people. So I've got it here for you in the ESV. And so notice what it says here. Anyone who does anything with a high hand, brazenly, defiantly, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And the, the person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. And so you see this idea that a person has been cut off because of these sins and the sins that it has before him. The ne- is, did I put up 32? Well, the... Okay, never mind. I, I, knew I, I knew I messed up from the minute I saw this. So you notice here, this is talking about this defiant hand, uh, uh, sin, this, this defiance against God, and, and, and it's, a person is to be cut off. 
Now, Jesus is referring to here to what he calls the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but this will not be forgiven now or ever, ever. Now, keep your marker in Matthew 12, and let's turn to the book of Hebrews. There are several other passages, some other passages of Scripture that seem to point in the same direction, referring to the same thing. And I want to just read those to familiarize you with us with them, and then try to help us to understand what this is in its context. So that would be Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. It says this. For it is impossible for those who, once in, who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, notice these people. They've gotten a lot of light. They've tasted some of these things. The Spirit himself has been ministering truth to them. If they fall away, verse 6, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance... Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. So here we have these people. If they fall away, they will not find repentance. Look at chapter 10 and verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully, and here's that idea of defiance or brazenly. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will, be, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? There's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit there. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, as you continue to turn toward the back of the Bible, go to 1 John chapter 5. So you're in Hebrews, then James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John chapter 5. It's a small book. Uh, if you get to 2 and 3 John, Jude, or Revelation, you've gone too far. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life. He will give life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. But of course here there is a sin that leads to death, and it's not even, you, sh you don't even need to pray for that person because there's, there's no hope. So what are we talking about? Let's go back to Matthew 12. What is going on in Matthew 12? If you read a Bible verse and you don't understand what it means, the first and most important thing for you to do at that point is, is to look in the context. What, what's the context teaching? How is that being used in the context? And in the context, what we're seeing here are Pharisees. These Pharisees are in a process. And that process is a process of hardening. 
Their, their attitude is hardening against Jesus as they're seeing Jesus at work and hearing Jesus' teaching. Now, look at Matthew chapter 9, for instance, verse 3. This is where it begins. Remember, the man is, is, uh, is brought down before him. A paralytic man is brought to him on a bed. And uh, Jesus says, uh, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 3, it says this. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. This man blasphemes. Now, you start to see this process of hardening happening in their life. Then look at verse 11 of that chapter. And when the Pharisees saw, Jesus went to Matthew's house. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You can see the process of this hardening beginning to take place. Look at verse 32 of the same chapter. And as behold, and they, and they went out, and behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled and said, we, it, is never seen, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. So again, you see them hardening and hardening. Look at chapter 12 and verse 2. Jesus goes into the grain fields on the Sabbath and plucks the grain. And it says in verse 2, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful uh, to do on the Sabbath. And then in verse 14 of that chapter, uh, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. And when the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. See how hard they're in their sin. They want to kill this man now. This man who's only done good and only healed. They want to kill him. And then again in verse 23, our passage, he heals this demon-possessed man who is blind and mute, and now he sees and he speaks. And the crowd says in verse 32, could this be the son of David, Messiah himself? Verse 24, and the Pharisees heard it, and they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And then Jesus says, verse 31, therefore I say to you, every sin or blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Now, notice what he said. he's saying here. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, if I cast out demons by, the, by Satan, Beelzebub, that was their claim. But look at what he says then in verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, Satan is not casting out demons here. The Spirit of God is casting out demons here. And you are calling the one who is casting out demons here Satan. The spirit is at work, and you're attributing it to Satan. That's what's happening here. Again, look at verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. You can blaspheme the Son of Man. You can speak against the Son of Man. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. What is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It involves a persistent brazen, defiant resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit. In the face of God moving and working and doing something, God is at work, you defiantly and willfully say, that's of the devil. I'm opposed to it. That's of the devil. Listen to what uh, one commentator wrote. He said this, the rejection of truth defining the sin the rejection of truth, the rejection of truth in full assurance that that is exactly what one is doing. 
I'm going to read that again. The rejection of truth in full assurance that that is exactly what one is doing. Thoughtfully, willfully, and self-consciously rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, even though there can be no other explanations of Jesus' casting out demons and healing people than that. This is what's happening. They know they're rejecting the truth. They know they're defying God, but they're rejecting the truth and defying God even though there's no evidence for what they're saying. He went on to write this. For repentance, they substitute hardening. For confession, plotting. And this is this, this, is this rejection. Now notice here, please, we have to be very careful. Here. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a rejection of Christ. It's not a rejection of Christ. Jesus says it. Sin against the Son of Man. You can reject the Son of Man. Sin against. I, the, the, the sin of the Holy Spirit is not, is not unbelief. The sin of the Holy Spirit is not being opposed to the gospel of Jesus. Because if that were the case, Peter would have perished. Peter denied Christ three times. He denied that he even knew him. The, the thief that was hanging on the cross, uh, the two thieves, both, the Bible says, were railing against Jesus at the beginning of the crucifixion. And by the end of the crucifixion, the one, pre, uh, uh, the one uh, thief asked for being saved. And Jesus says, I'm taking you to heaven with me today. So it's not being opposed. And certainly of anybody would be the Apostle Paul who hated the name of Jesus, who hated the gospel, who persecuted Christians, who jailed them, who went after them. No, 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 dear friends. Great opponents to the gospel have been won by grace. It's to the glory of God when those such people are won by grace. Great oppressors, great opposers, notorious sinners are saved by grace, saved by Christ, saved by his love. Grace overpowers them. Grace wins them. But this is something different. This is something different. This is people who have been given the privilege of light. They've been given the privilege of truth. They've been given the privilege of irrefutable evidence of the truth of the gospel. They've been given a witness of the truth. Certainly these men who saw Jesus, who watched what he did, who saw these miracles, who saw how he lived his life, these men were looking at the very Son of God, and the Spirit of God was testifying in their heart. The Spirit of God was drawing them to the truth of this. They knew the Spirit of God was witnessing. And you see, dear friends, we get objective truth from the Word, from preaching. We get objective truth. But then the Spirit of God opens our eyes and begins to help us to see and begins to make that truth real and begins to woo our hearts and testify to our hearts that the truth is real, that this is real, that this is a divine person, that this is God testifying and working in the inner man. And these people defiantly said no to all that. No. I don't want him. I don't want to follow. It's a lie. And they know it's not a lie. And it could be their pride. Could be their anger. Could be envy. In fact, for the Pharisees, it was envy. When, 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 when they said, crucify him, give us Barabbas, the, the gospel writers say it was because of their envy. That was part of their sin. But at some point, these people said to what they knew was true, no, I reject it. I defy it. No. Who does this? Who does this? Well, dear friends, there, there have been a few people in my life that I feared perhaps have gotten real close, if not have done this. But let me give you some historians, some people in history. 
I believe that an example of this would be Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin was the ruler of Russia during uh, most of the Soviet era. And Joseph Stalin is the greatest mass murderer in the history of the world. Mao Zedong may be next to him, Hitler's third, but Joseph Stalin may be responsible for 60 to 70 million deaths. Joseph Stalin began his career in a seminary. He was studying to be a priest. He was studying to be a priest, and at some point or another, Joseph Stalin, against all of the light that he had, rejected it, defied it, and became the head of a nation that was officially atheistic and ordered the execution of millions and millions of people, sent them off to the gulags, defied God, made himself as God. And when he died, he screamed. He screamed out, the wolves are after me. The wolves are after me. And those were the demons that were going to take him to hell. I've used this example before, but when you pastor 17 years in one place and new generations come in, you get to tell your stories over again. So I'm going to tell one over again. I believe that this, I saw this most real in my life personally, not by somebody I knew personally, but by somebody that I followed, and it was a comedian. And this comedian's name was Sam Kiniston. And Sam Kiniston was a, a boy preacher. He was a boy preacher. And he went around, and that's a really unwise thing to do, but they did in that, that culture that he was in. He was a boy preacher. And at some point, he rejected his entire faith. He rejected it vehemently. He became a stand-up comedian, and his comment, and I do not recommend you going on YouTube and looking at his, at his comedy. It's horrible. It's vile. It's wicked. But I tell the story that one time I was at Jan's. I, I, I was so traumatized, I know the exact moment, the exact place where I was. It's like John F. Kennedy when he was shot. I know exactly where I was when this happened to me. I was at Jan's mom's house. She was in the other room talking to her mom. I had just washed my car, and I was listening to the pirate game, and I decided to watch the pirate game. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was flipping through the TV, and Sam Keniston was on, and he was doing a, a comedy routine. And that comedy routine was so vile, and, and I only watched it for about a minute and a half. It was so vile, and it actually was about Jesus. And he was saying the most vile, blasphemous things about Jesus that, that your imagination, I was, and I was watching it, and I was so terrified, I actually broke out in a sweat, and I started hyperventilating, and I, and I shut it off, and I, I felt like I was in the room with the embodiment of wickedness itself. His limousine had the license plate X-Rev, X-Rev. Joe Keniston, at the age of 38, got off a plane, got in his limousine. They're driving through Nevada to go to a, 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 a stand-up routine he was supposed to. And how this happens, if you ever drove in Nevada, or how this happens in roads that are perfectly straight, you can see for miles ahead how this happens. A 17-year-old boy decided to pass somebody, and his truck hit Keniston's car directly right on. Keniston is thrown out of the car. He's still alive, but his artery, is, his, his aorta artery is severed, and he's dying there, and he's screaming out, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, no, no, no. Now, if you follow this up on the, interview, and, and on the internet, sadly, people took what the original report was that this man was screaming out in, in fear as he's dying next to his license plate that says next X, X Rev, as he's going to hell at 38 years old. 
It was an ugly scene. They've made it a mythology now that it was a good scene. It was an ugly scene. And I believe that he was an example of this hardening, this hardening against him. Now, I've given you an insert into your bulletin, and I don't want to read. I'm not going to read it all to you at all. But I gave this to you so that you would have what I consider to be the best paragraph describing this sin, what it looks like. Keep this. You know, keep this. Somebody ever asks you, it gives you some other passages of Scripture. But, um, but I just want to, I, I just want, I'm going to point out a, one sentence or two sentences, and one of them is right in the middle. It says this. It is nothing less than a decided slandering of the Holy Spirit, an audacious declaration that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the abyss, that truth is a lie, that Christ is Satan. And here you have Sam Kiniston doing that. But I want to read the last line to you, especially to tender-hearted, sensitive Christians who are here. The last line actually begins about four lines up. It's a long sentence, apparently. It says, in those who have committed this sin, we may therefore expect to find a pronounced hatred to God. This is Stalin. This is Keniston. A defiant attitude to him and all that is divine. Delight in ridiculing and slandering that which is holy. I definitely saw that in Keniston. An absolute unconcern respecting the welfare of their soul and the future life. That was Stalin all over. In view of the fact that this sin is not followed by repentance, we may be reasonably sure that those who fear that they have committed it and worry about this and who desire the prayers of others for them have not committed it. If you are here today and you are afraid that you may have committed this and don't want to, and how can I make this right? You haven't committed this sin. Because this sin, that's why John says, if you see a brother who's committed a sin that is not unto death, pray for them. But if you see that person who's committed a sin that is, not unto, that is unto death, that person's not going to ask for, for your prayers. That person's not going to be made right for you. This is an ugly, ugly, ugly sin. And I can guarantee you that if you had any concern that you have not committed this sin. It's a process of hardening that takes place to where your, your ugly defiance will be very evident to all. So that's the sin of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully that has been helpful for you to understand it. But I'm going to step back for a second here. I'm going to step back. And sort of ask ourselves this question. How does somebody get to that state? But also through this, examine just a little bit the nature of sin itself. You see, dear friends, sometimes we look at sin in a wrong way. Sometimes we look at sin as just sinful acts that people do. And those sinful acts, although they are sin, if you actually outwardly do something that is sinful, that is sin. But nevertheless, sin is something much more deeper. That's a symptom. You know, if you have, if you have shortness of breath and chest pains, you're not going to die of shortness of breath and chest pains. You're going to die of heart disease. If you have some kind of lesion on you that is a melatonin, you're not going to die from that lesion. You're going to die from the cancer that's flowing through you if you die of those things. And that's what sin is. Sin is something that eats and destroys. It's a cancer. And all of these other things are signs of it. Think of it this way. Change the imagery. Sin is like an acid. It's like an acid that when you pour out it, things start smoking and melting and it, and it eats it. That's what sin is. And that's what sin does. It distorts. It melts. It deforms. It, it, it destroys that which it is. Now, now let's play a little game. Mental game. 
Um, if you take a college philosophy class, they might have done this game with you at some point. Here's a, here's a bottle of water, okay? Imagine in your mind, and for this game, imagine that somebody has developed a, a, an acid, a very powerful acid. And this acid will burn, it'll burn this up, you know? And then it'll burn that up. And then metal, it'll burn that up. This is a very powerful acid. And this acid that I have developed actually intensifies over time. It gets more and more intense over time. And so I'm standing here telling you about this acid, and I set it on the table, and all of a sudden, this acid, where am I going? Burns the container that it's in. This is an acid that you can't contain in any container. It burns this container, and it burns this pulpit, and it burns this floor, and it burns this room. Eventually, that acid will destroy all reality. That's an illustration of sin. That's an illustration of sin. Think of Satan. Think of Satan. Satan was at one time, we think from the scriptures, it seems, a, a, a holy being in heaven. God, God didn't make anything sinful. He was a holy being in heaven. And envy, the Bible talks about the sins of Satan. Envy and pride, he turns against God. He wants the recognition that God's son has. He wants it for himself. And this big battle takes place in heaven. What happened? The acid of sin begins to burn and sear his soul and begins to destroy his soul. In John Milton's Paradise Lost, the, begins, the story begins with this battle that's just ended in heaven. And Satan and all of his demons, the legion of demons, have been cast out of heaven. And they land in this fiery lake. And this massive titan of a being stands up, and it's Satan. And he's all in his armor, and he's got this huge shield and this sword. And he wades through this fiery uh, lake onto a shoreline. And then he holds a council with all of the other arch demons. And we know their names, Moloch and Ashtoreth and Baal and all of the wicked demons. Of the, of, and he says, what do we do? What do we do? And somebody says, we'll never beat him. We'll never defeat him. We should just submit and ask to be get, let back into heaven. And Satan says, never, never, I will hate him forever. And I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. See, dear friends, that's what sin is. Sin is an acid that destroys and distorts and makes us, and to the point that, that we, we have this weird sort of value system and, and it's a rebellion against God. Think of demons. Think of demons. Demons see Jesus and say, we know who you are, the Holy One. Why have you come here before our time? Why have you come? Don't torment us. Send us into the pigs. What kind of lunacy is that? Instead of help me, save me, deliver me, the acid has so eaten their souls up that they are beyond repair. And they just want to go into the pigs and get away from Jesus. And they definitely don't want to go to hell, back to Satan. People in hell. People in hell, do you know that people in hell continue to be distorted and eaten by the acid of sin? And as a hundred years go by, and a thousand years go by, and a million years go by, they continue to be eaten by the acid of sin and destroyed and melted down to be ugly, gross, zombie-looking beings but hating God exponentially more with each million years that goes by. See, dear friends, sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. It's this, I'm not obeying. I'm not submitting. 
I'm doing my own thing. Sin is an acid that makes you self-centered. Self-identity. Self. Self. It, it, it's like a, a black hole that implodes to yourself. Sin is like that. And it makes you self. And sin has a unique focus. Sin's unique focus of its hatred, its vehemence, its defiance is God. Sin hates God. That's why sin is such a terrible asset. Sin rebels against God. Let me ask you this, dear friends. Have you ever not liked somebody who in your head you know is actually a good person, but you don't like them? In fact, you hate them. But, but, but if, if truth be told, they're really not bad people, but you hate them. You're like, this is how this thing happens. They may have been your friend once. They may have been your friend once, and then you ran for president of student council against them, and they won. You lost. You wanted, to be, you wanted to be the head of the cheerleading squad, and they won, and you lost. They got a promotion, and you didn't. They married somebody rich, and you married somebody of modest means. And all of a sudden, you hate them. You don't want to be around them. You don't like them. You're like one of those TV shows where they show pilots and they say, oh, target and play, target, locked on, locked on, boop, 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 locked on, locked on. You're locked on to this person with malice and hatred. Their Facebook, their, their picture, you could be looking through, oh, look at that cute puppy, oh, look at that nice dessert, oh, look at that nice vacation, oh, look at that little cute kid, oh, look at that kitten, oh. And then their picture comes up and you're just locked on. And you start to, you start to get angry. And, and you read it just because you hate them. And if somebody were to say to you, but are they really, like, are they bank robbers, rapists? No, no, they're, no, they're, really, they're really good people and everything. But you hate them. You see, dear friends, sin, that's an illustration of sin toward God. Sin is an acid that makes one hate God, not want to be around God, rebel against God, have negative things about God. Think of the unbeliever who will not even think about God. There's no concern about God whatsoever. You try to get them to talk about God, they won't talk about God. Well, that's part of it. But then something goes bad in their life, and what will they do? Why is God doing this? I would never follow your God if he allows this to happen in this world. And that's what sin is. Sin is this terrible acid that melts us down and makes us wicked people. Now, I want to apply this to ourselves. See, this is a warning. Jesus is giving us a warning about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's warning us against these terrible sins. He's warning us. And I want us to read the warning label. I want us to listen. So let me say this by way of application. Number one, if you're a Christian here today, praise God. Praise, I literally, praise be to God. Because by his grace, you have recognized your sin, and you recognized the acid that was in you. You recognized the problem, and you fled to Christ, the only one who can save from sin. Praise God. The Holy Spirit came and worked among you and wooed you, and the word came to you, and you did not resist and defy. You followed. You believed, you embraced, 
And through Christ, all of your sins are for, have been forgiven. Through grace, you have been accepted. I want you to think about yourself. It's gross, but just think about this for a second. Do you ever see those zombie movies? Where zombies come out like, did you ever see those zombie movies? They're all blah. Well, I want you to think of yourself like that. Think of yourself because that's what sin did to you. And you came by the grace of God to Christ. And what did Christ do? He didn't go, ooh. He embraced you. He said, welcome. Welcome. And he forgave you. And he gave you of his Holy Spirit. And he began to neutralize the acid. And he began to transform you into his image and change you. He's given you power over sin. The only power to dilute through the Holy Spirit that is in you. Praise God. But second line of application is this. There's a warning here as well. Don't play with acid. Don't play with acid. Dear friends, we still have this toxic sin within us. We still have remaining sin. It's toxic. It's a deadly acid. And it gains strength with use. And if we see any sign of this sin, this remaining sin within us, I want you to be alarmed and say, oh, no, this is acid. This will burn. This will melt. This will destroy. I need to get this out of my life. I need to get rid of this. I want you to be very concerned and alarmed. If this was a type of acid, maybe a light acid that's used for cleaning or something like that, or, or maybe to remove stain, and I have it on a, 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 a to remove finish and stuff to if you're going to restain, and I have it on a table and it accidentally spills on on the new table that I have and I've just finished. What do you do? You immediately try to rub it off. You immediately throw something on that's going to neutralize it. You immediately do something about it. And I'm saying that if you see the acid of sin showing itself in your life, be alarmed. Be alarmed. This is a hellish acid. This can destroy me. This can hurt me. This can be bad. This gains strength. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Neutralize it. Take these warning passages seriously. Take sin seriously. Say no to temptation. Say no. Your temptation could come, and you see it, and you say, no, no, this is a hellish acid. No, I'm getting rid of this. I'm getting out of this. Flee from temptation, the Bible says. Do not get provision from the, for the flesh. Fight against it. That's why in Romans 8, 13, we're told this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you follow after these sins, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Put your sin to death including those subtle ones. You wake up in the morning and you don't feel like having your devotions. You don't feel like praying. You wake up in the morning, Sunday, and something inside you says, I don't want to go to church. I don't, I don't want to worship God. Don't treat that lightly. It's hellish, demonic sin. If that acid continues to strengthen and grow, it's what led Satan to say, I will defy him forever. He can throw me into hell. I don't care. He will throw you in hell. I know. But I will never serve him. And dear friends, that acid starts in the smallest little way. Be alert. Be aware. Be aware of it.
And then finally, I'd like to say this by way of application to those of you who keep putting Christ off. You keep putting off getting right with God. Not, not now, not now, not now. Oh, you might be a good old boy. You might keep your nose clean. You might be one of the good guys. But you have no interest in God. You have really no interest in hearing about him. You have really no interest in preaching. When that pastor said about reading this Bible, you've got to be crazy, Pastor. I ain't going to read this book. You have no interest in that. You have no interest in talking to him in prayer. You have no interest in conforming your life to him. You have no interest in holiness. You have no godly zeal for him. Dear friends, you are under the acid of sin. You're covered with it. And it's going to strengthen over time. And you're going to perish in hell. And dear friends, the time is too short. Eternity is right around us. Eternity is right here. It is, you are a heartbeat away from eternity, from hell. And no time for me to play games with you right now. This sin, this sin, this power of this acid on you that is keeping you away from God will destroy you. It will destroy you. You are under its power, and it is a toxin, and it is corrosive, and it is going to eat you up. And Satan continues to pour it on you and pour it on you and keep it going. And, keep it. and listen, dear friends, listen. It is too powerful for you. You cannot break it. You cannot stop it. You cannot save yourself. You have no power in yourself. You're not a good old boy. You're a sinner. You're against God. You're opposed to him. You're running from him. You're keeping an arm's length. You don't want to see him because the acid of sin and this acid is so great and so powerful that there is no hope in you at all. You will perish. But there is hope. It's outside of you. It's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to save you, the power to dilute the acid of sin, the power to heal you, the power to get you out of Satan's hands. He alone can bind Satan. He alone can save. He alone can give you forgiveness. He alone can cleanse you. He alone can wash you. He alone can give you eternal life. He alone has the power, the resurrected, glorified Christ. And here's the good news. He has the heart to do it. He has the compassion. And he stands ready to save you right now. Come to me, he says. Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are sin-laden. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will heal you. Come to me, and I will deliver you. Come to me. And I want to urge you, unbelievers, I want to urge you at this point, do not stiffen your neck. Do not stiffen yourself. Do not resist. Because that acid will strengthen. And the day of salvation may one day pass. And it will be impossible for you. It will be impossible for you. And the Bible tells us to not pray for you. Oh, dear ones, don't let that happen. Today is the day of salvation. Today, Christ offers to save. Come to him. Trust in him. Believe upon him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much 
that you are such a great and wonderful Savior, all that we need and more for salvation and life. Oh, we all see the, the ugly rebellion in us. We all see the selfishness still remaining in us. But Lord Jesus, it doesn't rain in us because your power has come. Help us, we pray. Help those of us here who are believers that we would recognize the remaining acid, the toxic hellish acid, and help us to fight it and say no by the power of your spirit. And oh, Father, for any who are right now feeling that they are powerless, they are powerless, oh, help them to hear the good news. There is one who is willing to save, able to save. Turn them to you, I pray. Help them to trust in you right now to say yes to you, yes to your great promises. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name.